The Truth News Network. They're listening in Moscow. They're listening in Berlin. They're listening in Hanoi. Where are you? You're on TNN. The Truth News Network. With Dan Newman. Also listening in parts of Northern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Mexico, and even parts of South America. But you know what? I'm thankful for all of you this morning. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you participating in what we're doing here at Truth News Network, TNN Live, and uh, we never take you for granted. Please understand that. We get letters, we get emails, we get texts, we get questions asked. And I don't know if you really paid attention to things that happened over the weekend. Sometimes, you know, we like to get away for the weekend. And when I say get away, sometimes it means just getting away from the news, getting away from information. You know what I'm talking about. Well, even if that was the case, guess what? We're still here. It's Tuesday, the 14th of September. We're still here. Thank God, America, still today, in spite of everything, is the greatest country on planet Earth. We are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And we can still say that truthfully. However, there are those that are way down the road of trying to tear that apart. Isn't that the truth? We're not going to let it happen. Why? We, the people, as long as we, the people, still are in control legally and constitutionally, we're going to be okay. We're going to find the answers. We're going to find the solutions. And we're going to do that together. Thank God for that. Have you had your morning cup of coffee? Well, if you haven't, go grab it real quick. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. We're going to launch into some very important things today. There's some news on the economic front that just broke a moment ago. We'll give that to you in just a second, but I'm giving you time. Maybe you got your coffee poured now. Let's see. What are we going to add in it today? Some uh, creamer? Maybe some sweet and low or some other kind of sweetener? Maybe you just like it hard and dark and black with nothing in it, whatever it is. Grab your beverage and let's get going. How about let's do that? Question for you to start the show today. How is that Afghanistan thing doing? You know, you remember Afghanistan, that country over kind of close to China where we for 20 years have been in a quote unquote war against evil. We got out of there. I mean, we tucked tail and ran. At least that's what the world thinks about what we did. Well, let me give you the answer to that question. You know the question, how is that Afghanistan thing doing two weeks later? Simple answer, not very good at all. Unless, of course, you're a Taliban leader or a fighter. Another question for you. Don't you find it odd, just a little bit curious, that the radio silence of the mainstream media and even the Biden administration about the botched withdrawal of our military from Afghanistan, isn't that radio silence deafening? If the departure, our departure from that Asian haven for Islamic terrorists, if it really was the great success that they have all in the Biden administration portrayed it to be, people like President Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, 
Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, chiefly among those who were trying to really play down anything bad that happened. If it was so good, folks, don't you think they would certainly continue to trumpet to us all and the world about that great success? Why haven't we heard from them in the past week or so about that? Here's the answer to that question. There is no success story in Afghanistan to crow about. In fact, folks, the mainstream media is complicit with the Biden administration in hiding the facts. Now, I'm not going to pontificate about the alleged horrors underway still today in Afghanistan and what might be happening to those stranded Americans there. It would be hypothetical. It would be an opinion. We're not going to do that. We're going to deal with facts. It will point to the only thing that really matters about our leader in this withdrawal. And who is that? It's our president, Joe Biden. You know this. Our American military has always had one never-changing commitment regarding our service members who get caught up in some type of military conflict. And we're always promising those people in our military, if you get hung out there to dry, we are never going to leave any of you of them behind, even if they're killed in action. Yet the commander-in-chief promised numerous times that Americans, many of whom are non-active military persons who have been working actively assisting our military and even Afghanis for 20 years, believing that commitment that this president and the previous presidents have promised, if, if and when we leave the country, everybody's going to be taken out safely before we leave Afghanistan. You remember all that? You remember Joe Biden? If you don't... I give my word with all of my heart. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. I give my word with all of my heart. He said that again and again and again before the pullout. And of course, that didn't happen. They don't even have the chutzpah, they being the Biden administration, to tell Americans how many people are still there. And they know. They know. President Biden lied about that, folks. Numerous Americans and those Afghan U.S. patriots are still prevented from leaving Afghanistan by the Taliban. And Secretary Blinken has told us repeatedly that the Biden administration trusts the Taliban to work with us to get Americans and Afghans who work with the U.S. safely out of the country. This administration's policies and actions are actually preventing a multitude of private non-government operations from getting many of those out of Afghanistan privately without our government involved. The Afghanistan horrors, folks, they are mind-boggling. This past weekend, a live video documented the Taliban beheading a member of the Afghan military who they painted as a turncoat. We've seen and heard reports from inside the Kabul city detailing Taliban hangings, shootings, and even more beheadings of Afghan people who worked with the U.S. Every one of these people, every one was promised by our government that if and when we left Afghanistan, 
they and their families, by the way, would be removed and taken care of in the U.S., and that all would be initiated before our military left. You just heard President Biden 10 days before the withdrawal. I give you my word. Again, folks, President Biden lied. So that's the peak of my rage today. That's enough. I thought it would be better to hear from people who have been on the ground in Afghanistan, watching the Taliban and even al-Qaeda terrorists perpetuate their horrors on the Afghan people the last 20 years. It didn't just start, folks. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn to them for the true perspective of life today in that country. The true Afghan Taliban reality today. And what I'm about to do is give to you, I'm going to read it to you, a letter. It's a very sobering piece, and I didn't enjoy it when I read it. And it was written in Taliban, their language. Here we go. The first time I saw you was in the Khyber Pass. You came with your technology, elite fighters fueled by revenge and the hubris to believe that you could disprove history. This was a war that you didn't have the stomach to fight, but I'm glad you tried. We bled you the same way we bled the Soviets in our holy land. We bled you the same way the Vietnamese bled you in their homeland. We did it patiently and deliberately. Patience, something Westerners never learn. Our history is millennial. We don't yearn for an early victory when the infidel ravages our holy land. Our victory is celebrated decades from now. We've endured, then ravaged every standing military that crossed our borders. Why? How? We're patient. In 30 days, we'll be stronger, richer, and have control over precious natural resources that you need for your pathetic life that's dictated by comfort. We will have women, riches, land, guns, and ownership of one of the greatest chapters in military history. You lose. If you want to try again, we in Afghanistan, we welcome the challenge. You will fail regardless of how much money you burn in our deserts. For pity, here is free advice that may contribute to your future success should you ever decide to invade again. You recruit your warriors and supporters from a drug-addicted, distracted, disillusioned population that's obsessed with comfort and entertainment. A population obsessed with altering their mundane reality. Alcohol, marijuana, pills, and our new favorite, Tide detergent pods. Every time your doctors prescribe opiate painkillers, you line our coffers with gold. Your population's thirst for our pristine heroin has never been more lucrative for our warrior tribes. We will keep feeding you poison for as long as you keep your hands out. If your population wasn't so spineless, undisciplined, and self-loathing, then you might be able to compile a raiding party with enough tenacity to outthink ours. Our fighters are born into war, raised in it. It's a way of life that evades your first world nations. They live a life of such immense misery and pain that they're willing to fight barefoot in the snow 
for the opportunity to martyr themselves. They yearn for the opportunity to die. When they do have the blessed opportunity to sacrifice themselves, they sit above Muhammad at the right hand of God. Blessed is Allah for eternity. What honors do your fighters receive? Their empty sacrifice is remembered in the form of a three-day weekend. The majority of your population uses this sacred time to get drunk and grow fatter as a way to celebrate their fallen warriors. Sadly, we pay tribute to their death more honorably. The colored pieces of cloth you pin on their chest are similar to the jewelry worn by our women. What good are accolades and vanity if you don't have the stomach to endure a fight? We don't offer the burden of health care to our fighters as they often want to die for Allah. Your fighters fight to live. Their inability to reconcile the inevitable outcome of our patients leads them to kill themselves. Your medications, counselors, and nonprofits will never undo the pain and suffering you forced them to endure. It will never remove the pain we've caused your broken nation. You are your own worst enemy. We will give your fighters credit. Some are creative, tenacious, and fierce. They outgun us in every way possible, but again, we simply wait them out. Allah is patient. You cycle them through our holy lands every three to 12 months for their combat rotations. After their tours complete, they return to the comfort of their warm beds and endless entertainment. If you left them here in our holy land with no way out but to win, then you might have had a chance of success. The longer you poisoned our holy land with your presence, your rules of engagement only strengthen our position. There is only one rule in war. That is to win. Your commanders made you fight with your hands tied behind your back. Your rules also confused our fighters too. We're clearly the enemy. Why are they letting us go? Thank you for your compassion, as it allowed our fighters to kill more infidels. We began to feel as if your commanders were on our side. We're thankful your most vicious dogs were never allowed off their leashes. Your showcase generals make us laugh. You spend millions of dollars flying them around our country, inventing new ways to win while ignoring the guidance of our most capable foes. Your generals make decisions to minimize risk to their fragile reputation with the ultimate goal of securing a lucrative retirement, jobs with suppliers that fuel your losing force, a self-serving circle that's built on the backs of your youngest and most naive fighters. Your retired generals earn tens of thousands of dollars talking to your political, industrial, and financial leaders about teams, winning, and discipline. It's a mockery of the war they refuse to fight. It's a mockery of the infidel warriors who died in our lands. We urge you to continue following their vacuous personalities so we can further watch your once great nation collapse. Your statesmen and elected officials are spineless, narcissistic, and more cowardly than your generals. They crave power over you above all else. They come to our country, hide behind blast walls, and only heed the word of the indigenous leader they put in power. 
I believe your soldiers call this a self-licking ice cream cone. They burned billions of dollars in a wasted effort to bring clean water, electricity, business, education, agriculture, and exports to a region that didn't even ask for it. You should have saved yourself the effort and simply given the money directly to us. Don't worry. Your diplomatic friends gave us plenty of your American tax dollars. If you want to give it another shot with your soft power, send those with real experience, not fancy degrees and silver tongues. Over the next few months, we will make the world understand that you failed worse than any fighting force that's ever invaded our lands. Today, we celebrate victory. As you evacuated your embassy here, our fighters are standing in the shade. We thank you for the parting gifts. You'll find surface-to-air missiles staged in the back of a Toyota pickup truck that you purchased for us. Our marksmen will be patient. We saw what Extortion 17 did to your nation and the morale of your fighting force. Do your citizens even remember that victory? We'll be repeating and improving upon our victory while your citizens and sympathizers evacuate in disgrace. Every one of your foes around the world will know exactly how to break you. You are welcome to fly your empty drones, target our cell phones, and send your spies, but they too will ultimately fail. We'll use their failures to show the world that you're not all-powerful. You're a false front, an empty shell. You lie, you cheat, you steal, and are easily defeated because you lack the spine to fight a war that you started. This is your history now. We're grateful Allah gave us the opportunity to show the world how to defeat the infidels. We look forward to seeing you again across the battlefield. Praise be to God, Allah. A letter to Americans from the Taliban. Now this letter was written by some Americans. And they sent a note with this. Let me read you their note. If you've read this far, so far, thank you. I've spent the past week trying to find a way to communicate this to the American people in a manner that would cause anger, rage, action, and understanding. Writing in the voice of a Taliban fighter felt the best way to get people's attention back home. If you just got angry, if you cry or contemplative, then our goal is achieved. Our hope is that it inspires you to take action with your elected officials. They've been repeating the same failing playbook since World War II with your sons, daughters, and tax dollars. If you want to keep this happening, do nothing. If you don't, then do something. If we all do a little, together, we do a lot. Now let me wrap this up myself. The signature of a good leader in politics and in the military is this. Each always tells the truth about every event that may be critical to the nation as a whole and or to Americans individually. And they do this even if the truth makes that leader look bad. 
Do I need to say anything else about our political and military leaders and the travesty still happening in the wake of the abandonment of Afghanistan by the U.S.? If you want an example or two or three or four of this, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dive right into some things that will just freaking blow your mind about what's happening in Afghanistan. And you're going to hear from somebody over there personally. This is a a very important day, folks. Why is it important? First of all, it's another day. It's another day that you and I woke up, took it for granted that we woke up, that you woke up in a warm bed, in a cool bed, because we all have air conditioning in the summertime. Food to eat, clothes to wear, not worried about getting shot when you walk outside. A lot of things to be very grateful for that almost all of us just take for granted. That take for granted stuff is not happening much over in the nation of Afghanistan. And a lot of that is because of what our government did and didn't do. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How to improve your dining room. By the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table? Matching chairs? Bar stools? How about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Clarity of thought. Clarity of vision, clarity of message. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. Got a good friend named Eddie. He's listening in this morning. He's one that knows and understands this military piece. He served overseas for a long time. He was a lifer in the military at one point. And uh, he just confirmed what letter I just read to you, the reality of that, and sadly, that's what we're dealing with. Let me just dig in a little deeper. I'll, you know, when 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 things happen that are bad for some people, thankfully that everything bad that happens typically isn't bad for everybody, but the fact that it's bad for some people and it didn't have to happen, that some people in places of authority in the positions of power made determinations that impacted the lives of millions of others with very little regard for that. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, 
Folks, he's the guy that is just, there's no there there. He is an empty suit. And instead of stepping out and being a leader, let me point to a Secretary of State, a former Secretary of State, that was and is today a real leader, Mike Pompeo. Now, why would, why would you classify him as a real leader, folks? He understands things about the Middle East. He was the director of the CIA, and the CIA is an intelligence agency, a U.S. intelligence agency, but their authority is only over intelligence matters from everywhere outside of our nation's borders. Inside, it's the FBI. So Pompeo knows about the thinking of the military, the intelligence divisions of those militaries that are our foes, like the Taliban, like Al-Qaeda, like ISIS. Blinken, he's an empty suit that is a politician. Now, you remember the ramp-up to all of this. There's history here that's several years old. This wasn't something that just all of a sudden was supposed to happen and catch us by surprise. It was planned. Excuse me. Several years ago, President Donald Trump made a commitment that he was going to get us out of this endless war in Afghanistan. And he started the process. He and Mike Pompeo, his Secretary of State, they went and negotiated in face-to-face meetings, several of them with the Taliban leaders, and they worked out a plan, a specific plan that was put in writing. We've shared that plan with you here at Truth News Network and at TNN Live. Listen to what Antony Blinken said in a congressional hearing. Quote, We, the United States, we inherited a deadline. We did not inherit a plan. This is the Secretary of State. Quote, we inherited a deadline. We did not inherit a plan. Now, this was during a House Foreign Affairs Committee hearing yesterday, the first time the Biden administration has had to publicly face members of Congress on the botched Afghanistan withdrawal. So let's fact check Antony Blinken. Let me think. Let me think through the process and let me just... Was he telling the truth? No, folks, he lied. Former Trump Pentagon Chief of Staff Cash Patel has said on the record in an opinion editorial that he handed over the administration's written withdrawal plan signed by the Taliban leader. Cash Patel said he turned that over to the Biden transition team. Quote, we handed our entire plan to the incoming Biden administration during the lengthy transition. The new team simply wasn't interested at all. That was published in the New York Post on August 19th. He wrote this, and this is quoting Cash Patel. I'm intimately familiar with former President Trump's Afghanistan strategy. In November of 2020, you remember that? There's a lot of stuff that happened in November of 2020. Remember that November 3rd thing over here? Cash Patel said, He was named Chief of Staff at the Pentagon, where one of my primary responsibilities was to wind down the forever war in Afghanistan. Trump instructed me to arrange a conditions-based methodical exit plan that would preserve the national interest. 
The plan ended up being fairly simple. The Afghan government and the Taliban were both told they would face the full force of the U.S. military if they caused any harm to Americans or American interests in Afghanistan. Next, both parties would negotiate to create an interim joint government, and both sides had to repudiate al-Qaeda. Lastly, a small special operations force would be stationed in the country to take direct action against any terrorist threats that arose. When all those conditions were met, along with other cascading conditions, then a withdrawal could and did begin. We successfully executed this plan, Patel said, until January 20th, 2021. During this interval, when there were no U.S. casualties in Afghanistan, not a one, President Ghani of Afghanistan and the Taliban conducted multiple rounds of negotiations, and al-Qaeda was sidelined. The result was a successful drawdown of U.S. forces in Afghanistan to 2,500, the lowest count since the dawn of the war on terror. He finished by saying this, We handed our entire plan, agreed to by the Taliban and the Afghan government, we handed that plan to the incoming Biden administration during the transition. Biden's team wasn't even interested. Patel wrote that everything changed when Joe Biden declared forces would leave by September 11th, but did not condition the withdrawal on a continued adherence to the agreed-upon stipulation. Patel said it would be an unconditional pullout with an arbitrary date based on pure symbolism and set in stone. No one should have been the slightest bit surprised that when relieved of any conditions or obligations, the Taliban could and would overrun the whole country in the absence of United States military power to push back. He said that plans for removing Americans, our own equipment, our machinery, as well as for contingencies, was handed to the Biden administration, but they just threw it out the window and fast forward six, seven, eight months. Here we are. In addition, a former senior defense official said that then Defense Secretary nominee Lloyd Austin even rejected a meeting with Trump's outgoing acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller a former Green Beret and a counterterrorism official who had at the time just returned from Afghanistan in December. Lloyd, Lloyd Austin, now the Secretary of Defense, let me just remind you of one thing that happened on his watch. He was the commander over all our forces in Europe and Africa in the Obama administration, CENTCOM. And it was his direct decision and his direct call for our military when the debacle in Benghazi happened, while those warriors were holding on for their lives against Taliban and ISIS fighters in Benghazi. His orders were for our military specialists not to go, to sit by and let it happen. Austin refused to meet with Miller in the transition team or even have a discussion with him regarding the transition or anything else. Hard to say, Patel said, 
why we didn't leave them a plan when they refused to even meet or discuss it. Wouldn't it be wonderful in the middle of all of this when, guess what, there are still people whose lives, whose lives, the lives of people that our president, you heard him say it over and over again, we weren't going to leave. We were not going to leave. I give my word with all of my heart. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. I give my word with all of my heart. How many are there? Isn't it kind of ironic? We hear the numbers tossed out off, even from the beginning. There's just a few people there. And if Secretary of the White House Press Corps, Jen Psaki, said it once, she said it a thousand times, and it was a talking point pushed down out of the Oval Office. You know it was. The only Americans that are there that are staying, you know, there's a lot of people that live over there that don't want to come back. Look, I, I give everybody credit for understanding some basic things like, you know, preserving their own lives. Don't think for a second there is or was one American that was involved in any way in Afghanistan during this entire debacle. They knew what they were doing over there. They knew the difference between peaceful Afghani people and the Taliban. They understand Islamic terrorists. They understand terrorism. They were over there living in it. Now, they, for a multitude of reasons, were doing it. Maybe it was work. Maybe it was family. But I can promise you there was not one American or there was not one Afghan patriot that during the 20-year period, they basically turned their backs on the horrors of Islamic terrorism and wanted to assist us and our military, and our intelligence people to stop this process that was killing and just destroying the Afghan environment with their crazy, radical ideas. There weren't any Americans that wanted to stay over there. And there's some still there. There's some still there. Now, let me take you back a few weeks. And we're, we're a couple of weeks. You know, the, the official pullout was August 31st. Chris Wallace, Fox News. Chris Wallace of Fox News. He did an interview before the pullout happened. Let me take you back and listen to this short conversation. Here's Chris Wallace and guess who? Jake Sullivan, Obama's national security advisor in the White House. And Jake, what's your expectation? How many Americans, how many of our Afghan allies will be left behind when we finally pull out at the end of August 31st? Let me start with American citizens. Uh, We have evacuated at this point uh, nearly 5,500 American citizens from Kabul. We can never get an absolutely precise count of how many Americans were in Kabul because Americans aren't required to put themselves in a database as, as living in Afghanistan. And we know this is a dangerous period. The Pentagon does say that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Kabul airport has already begun. We know more than 100,000 people have already been evacuated. A 
this historic number, which did take an incredible amount of work. But can you get all the American citizens who want to leave and our Afghan allies who are at risk out by the Tuesday deadline, especially given this threat? We're doing everything possible to, uh, to do just that. We have about 300 American citizens left uh, who have indicated to us that they want to leave. We are very actively working uh, to help them uh, get to the airport, uh, get on a plane, and get out of Afghanistan. Talk briefly about the Americans who remain in Afghanistan. We made extraordinary efforts to give Americans every opportunity to depart the country, in many cases talking and sometimes walking them into the airport. Of those who self-identified as Americans in Afghanistan who are considering leaving the country, we've thus far received confirmation that about 6,000 have been evacuated or otherwise departed. This number will likely continue to grow as our outreach and arrivals continue. We believe there are still a small number of Americans, under 200 and likely closer to 100, who remain in Afghanistan and want to leave. We're trying to determine exactly how many. We're going through manifests and calling and texting through our lists. And we'll have more details to share as soon as possible. Do you have a sense this morning as you talk to uh, people on the ground and you talk to people across the Defense Department about how many Americans remain in Afghanistan today? I don't think there's an exact figure, Willie. Uh, we believe we got the vast, vast majority of American citizens out, something to the tune of 6,000 of them. Uh, and we think it's probably in the low hundreds uh, that, uh, that are still there. Uh, I would say that this is now on track, Peter, to be the largest airlift in U.S. history. Uh, so, and that is uh, bringing American citizens out. It is bringing our Afghan partners out. It is bringing allies out. Uh, so no, I would not say that is uh, anything but a success. A true measure and the only realistic measure to gauge success of doing this is not a number of how many you got out. We do know now that the thousands, the tens of thousands of Afghan civilians that the United States put on those jets and they flew to the United States, other parts around the world, we do know that a bunch of them were on terrorist and are on terrorist watch list. We also know that a bunch of them didn't get quote-unquote, checked in when they got there. Here in the United States, we've got reports from two military bases that are full of these Afghan, quote-unquote, refugees, and there's no restrictions. They're not being properly vetted like we're supposed to do when we bring foreigners into our nation just to make sure they're not going to go out and, you know, bomb and shoot Americans carrying that Islamic terrorism around our nation. But guess what? The Biden administration has done just that. They're scattered around. These people at these military bases, they're calling Ubers to come pick them up, and they're leaving the bases. Nobody knows where they're going. That doesn't give our government leaders pause just for some concern. I mean, it's one thing to make mistakes. It's another thing to make mistakes and lie about making mistakes even when people in the United States know factually that it happened, making them look stupid, but even more importantly, folks, putting Americans, putting us in jeopardy. They really just don't care. And these are the people that have sworn oath to protect and defend the American people and the Constitution 
of the United States. Now, we were talking chiefly about Americans, but what about some of those um, Afghani folks, the ones that many of gave 20 years of their lives helping us defeat terrorism and terrorists? What about some of those? Where are they and what's their thinking right now? And in Afghanistan, remember how the world was very excited when the Taliban 2.0 sat down for an interview with a female news reporter, a female news reporter on a cable television station in Afghanistan. You remember her interviewing the Taliban about, among other things, women's rights. Well, that woman has now fled Afghanistan. The TV anchor has said it is not safe for her to be there for the obvious reasons of the Taliban and what they are about to do to journalism and to female journalists in particular. But as for the Biden Booster Network, they say there's no need to continually criticise Swampy Joe. I think people should stop beating up on the administration so much because no matter how it ended, everyone wasn't going to be happy with the way it ended. But I think you have to give them some credit for what Number one, getting out. And number two, getting as many people out as possible. And we do have to remember, there are people who went there and were told they needed to leave and they didn't leave. Because they weren't able to leave. There are stories of Americans who were able to get to the airport waving their blue American passport. The soldiers wanted to let them in, but the State Department, the bureaucrats working on the behalf of the Biden government, wouldn't let them in. Americans are still there. The people who helped America are still there. The interpreter who helped Swampy Joe is still there. So I'm sorry, CNN, we'll keep beating up on Biden because there are people who are suffering as a result of the way he decided to end the forever war in Afghanistan. Doesn't it make you feel warm and fuzzy that that report, that reality report, that truthful report from the news comes from Sky News in Australia. It's not from CNN or MSNBC or the Washington Post or the New York Times or any one of another of dozens and dozens far left progressive. We've got everything and all the truths. You don't have anything. Shut up and listen to us media outlets. Do I sound a little bit angry <laughs> today? The door of the studio hasn't opened up with Marianne walking in here telling me, calm down, calm down. I am um, I'm sad more than I'm upset because we got in this mess and it was a get-into-a-mess decision that did not have to be made. It was consciously made by our leaders. Now, we talked about our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, he is not qualified to be Secretary of State. He's not qualified to have any authoritative position in our government. That being said, there are those, the ones that make those decisions that think otherwise. But as light plays out and it's playing out before us and even more importantly in the lives of a bunch of people that are still over there that don't want to be over there and a bunch of Afghan people over there that were promised they would be taken out too and they're looking down the barrel of a theoretical gun, but in this particular case, sadly to say, more likely the knife of a terrorist that's coming to behead them. So Secretary Blinken, as all politicians do, they look forward to getting up in front of their fellow comrades in Congress and gloating about their successes. Antony Blinken testified yesterday at the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and he had some very interesting things to say about 
What comes up and what happens now? Biden told Congress he believes it would be the Taliban's self-interest to appoint a Western-style government. A Western-style government. Here's what was said. The country is, in so many ways, as you pointed out, fractured among different groups and different ethnic groups, north, south, east, and west, different outside actors that may be supporting one group or another. And so far, the Taliban, to fully consolidate control, that remains an open question. It is also why, ironically, it would be profoundly in the Taliban's interest to actually put forth a genuinely inclusive and representative government, because to the extent it doesn't, to the extent that everyone other than the Taliban is left out, that's only likely to, after some period of time, whether tomorrow or next year or thereafter, to cause those who are left out to try to assert, one way or another, their rights and their needs. Now, I I made a mistake. I said that was Biden. That was Antony Blinken testifying before this congressional hearing yesterday. The Taliban appear to believe their own self-interest includes, by the way, executing their rivals and hunting door-to-door for journalists. Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, he believes, folks, he believes that it would be in our best interest and the Taliban's best interest for us to continue to trust them, that their intentions are very positive and very inclusive, and that they want to make sure that they take care of any foreigner that's over there that got caught in this pullout that wants to get out, and especially any Americans that are over there. How many Americans are still over there? How many do you think? We have we have leaders, foreign people who served in our military in Afghanistan that had connections over there. We have people in our political government that know for a fact they speak daily. We have people in media that have friends and relatives that are over there they speak to. And you've heard the numbers that keep being bandied about by the Biden folks, 100. In fact, you heard one, I think it was Jake Sullivan, who said the other day, 300, and his, he said, maybe it's closer between 100 and 200 and closer to 100. They know how many there are, folks. They're not wanting to tell us. As we go to our, our last break this hour, I want to make a prediction for you. We will see, we will see before this is over, we will see Americans on camera paraded out in front of the world being executed because Joe Biden did not keep his word. Sad to say, but if you look at, you know, if A plus B equals C, then A equals C, if you put all that together in this situation, we're looking at a Jimmy Carter 100 Americans kept it captive for a year, over a year in Iran. We're looking for that to happen in Afghanistan on steroids. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. 
Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down, of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Seals and Croft. Hadn't heard from them in a lot of years. Boy, they had a couple of big hits. That one, of course, was Diamond Girl back in the um, early 70s. Man, that's a lifetime ago. Actually, it's probably before many of you began life. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. One more thing about this Afghanistan debacle over there. Biden administration, as we told you, Antony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, even the president, they're in full defense mode not accepting responsibility for any bad thing that happened because, you know, we didn't get a good shake. We didn't get a plan. They lied. When we presented the written plan here on TNN Live, we didn't just pull it out of the air, folks. It was a plan. It was negotiated, and it had stiff penalties built in that the Biden folks, now, Joe Biden, I'm just going to be honest, he didn't have a clue about the specifics of the withdrawal negotiations. He's not at the level. Mental capacity, you figure that out. Make your, draw your own conclusions in your opinion. But he wasn't involved in the real, on the ground, discussions about that. There weren't any with the Taliban, apparently. But nevertheless, they refused to take accountability for it. One more thing. We have a new director of national intelligence. I'm sure you know that person. You know who that is. Well, you probably don't. But anyway, according to her, and it is a female, um, according to her, Afghanistan does not currently pose the biggest terrorist threat to us and is further down the priority list following our withdrawal and subsequent Taliban takeover. That's according to the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. 
She said this yesterday. Now keep that name in mind. You're going to hear it again and again in the upcoming months. DNI, Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. Her comments came on the same day that Biden defended his decision to withdraw us from Afghanistan, but also acknowledged that the terrorist group Al-Qaeda may attempt to reconstruct itself in the country. They already have, folks. They never were needing construction or reconstruction in the country. President President Trump had gone a long way to have Al-Qaeda running for the hills, literally, in Afghanistan. But they've been emboldened since Sleepy Joe took the helm. She was speaking, Haynes, at an intelligence and national security conference in D.C., She noted that while U.S. intelligence officials are keeping a close eye on potential terrorist groups reassembling in Afghanistan, they're more concerned with a number of other countries that could be harboring terrorists and pose a threat to national security. She said, in terms of the homeland, the threat right now from terrorist groups, we don't prioritize at the top of the list Afghanistan, she added. Where we look is at Yemen, Somalia, Syria, and Iraq for ISIS. That's where we see the greatest threat. Okay, Ms. Haynes, listen to to Uncle Dan. I'm older than her. Listen to Uncle Dan. You guys just brought in, already in the United States, they won't give us an exact number, but let's just guess. Let's say 40,000 Afghani, quote-unquote, refugees. When you were taking those people out of Kabul, and flying them to Qatar, to Doha, and where the Qatar government had agreed that they would run some investigations and background searches on these people that we brought through there, 500 of them were on terrorist watch lists. Now, we don't know, and you won't tell us, how many others did not get vetted before they got to the United States We do know that just like at our southern border, you guys think just wave them across, let everybody in. Oh, trust us. We're going to look into their backgrounds as soon as they get here. Yeah, like uh, that COVID thing. We find out that as many as half of the refugees, whatever you want to tag them, but they're illegal immigrants that you guys have let across, several hundred thousand for sure that as many as 50% of them we find out after the fact were COVID positive. And you're up there preaching to us, President Biden, every day about what we've done. If we're unvaccinated Americans, what we've done. You're angry at us. You want to lock us down. You want to keep us from being able to work, not even thinking about going to the movies or a restaurant anymore. You don't want us to work, and you're making our employers force us to get vaccinated. You know what? It's okay for you to make us suffer. American citizens who are here legally, born here, or we've immigrated here legally, we're doing the good American things. We're working hard. We're paying taxes. We're investing in our areas. And then you bring in hundreds of thousands of people that you know And every American knows many of are not good people. Many of them are criminals. Many of them are the drug traffickers from South and Central America that have been sending these opioids into our nation and killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. You know that. 
you're not even committed enough to make sure you're not letting more of those types in here. You don't check them. You don't check them for COVID. You're certainly not standing at the pulpit preaching to them and talking bad about them like you do to us. And we're not doing anything wrong. I just don't understand the mentality. And then you want to tell you want to you want to give us ball face lies and tell us you did a great job over there and that there's no terrorist threat coming to our homeland out of Afghanistan. Who the heck is in Afghanistan now? ISIS what's the number? ISIS 5 whatever they want to call them 50 15 whatever they want to call themselves, those are people that are committed to do just one thing, to rid the world of infidels. What are infidels? Who are infidels? Anybody that doesn't believe Allah is God, Sharia law is the only way to live, and if we, anybody, doesn't accept that you're an infidel and they're instructed in the Quran to either convert the infidel or kill the infidel, You brought a few hundred thousand people and you tell us, oh, it's okay, most everybody that comes in, they may be Islamist. And folks, there's nothing. I know some great Muslims that believe in democracy, that believe in the rule of law. I'm not denigrating a religion. I'm I'm, I'm demeaning and diminishing the validity of a segment of that society, just like there's a segment of that society here in the United States already that doesn't believe in the rule of law. They're going out every weekend killing about 50 or 60 people in Chicago. Those are not people from Afghanistan or Iraq or Saudi Arabia or Syria. Those are American people. They may think a lot in a lot of ways, but they're different. We're talking today about people that knocked down the Twin Towers 20 years ago and in doing so killed 2,900 plus Americans. By the way, their justification for doing so, those 2,900 plus people, were infidels, most of them. I'm sure there were some really good Muslim people that died that day too. So Haynes just doubled down on stupid. Despite our strong military presence in those countries, Syria, Iraq, ISIS still operates within the borders, while in Yemen, an al-Qaeda offshoot base there has attempted attacks against who? Us, United States. In Somalia, the U.S. has regularly conducted counterterrorism strikes against al-Shabaab. That's a terrorist group there that regularly attacks neighboring Kenya. So while DNI... Avril Haines stressed there is a big focus for our intelligence agencies in monitoring monitoring any possible reconstitution of terrorist organizations in Afghanistan. Again, folks, there is no reconstitution necessary. They never unconstituted. They don't. She doesn't understand. It's not like in the U.S. where you're Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian, and you decide you want to switch churches. (laughs) That's not what they're all about. From birth, folks, from birth, they are indoctrinated with Muslim ideals that some depart from the pureness of that doctrine, 
They don't accept that anybody else on earth has the right to think differently about religious things. And when you're every day of your life, you're getting indoctrinated with this or that, with this or that. I'll just dumb it down for you. You can take a dog and if you treat that dog and tell that dog every day that you're not a dog, you're a pig. You do that for a few years and soon enough, that dog's going to start oinking. And gosh, that was a bad context to tell (laughs) a pig story because Muslims don't eat pork. But nevertheless, you get the concept. You get what I'm talking about. I'm going to do something right now that probably all of you that have been listening for the last hour probably want me to do. We're going to change the topic of conversation. Is that okay with you? we got an hour left. We've got things we need to cover. Our economy, we need to talk about inflation, we need to talk about COVID-19, and uh, let's see what else we have in the plan. Uh, Just some few odds and ends, so don't go away. We're going to get to the bottom of all this. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that just, it just came to light within the last hour. And it's that I thing, that thing that every American hates. But Joe Biden had it in his pocket when he brought it to the White House on January 20th. Inflation. Your source of truth in a chaotic world. 24-7, online, on your devices. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. We all want to be prepared. We all want to be sure that the people we leave behind don't think we're jerks. That's where final insurance comes in. We provide peace of mind for when you rest in peace. For a small monthly sum, you can spend your final years knowing that Final Insurance has everything taken care of. Final Insurance, the last insurance you'll ever need. The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN, truthnewsnet.org. I'm not the only one that can tell the truth don't think I think that. I, I, I know that's not factual, but sometimes it's got to, to me, it seems like I'm the only one at the time that is talking about a lot of these things. And I'll never understand why all of the why answers that all of this one-sided mess is being 
generated in the media the way it has been. It's, it's amazing to me primarily because there has to be a fundamental thread of understanding. It's not truthful what the understanding is. But the media's perspective begins and ends with this. You and me, the American populace, are too stupid to do investigation and find things out on our own. They obviously all feel that whatever they say, whatever they write, that we're going to just swallow it hook, line, and sinker is fact. And why are we going to do that? Because it's who they are. I mean, after all, they're perfect. They're infallible. They may make a boo-boo every once in a while, but even when they do, they don't have to come back and tell us about it and apologize. We're too stupid to ever find out about it. I can't reconcile that mindset, but it is everywhere in today's media. Now let's fast forward. Have you heard about this reconciliation bill? We talked a little bit about it yesterday here. The reconciliation bill is a $3.5 trillion bill that Democrats are trying to push through and force Americans to live by. We've talked about all of the things that it includes that are just crazy. And uh, we told you yesterday about Senator Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat from West Virginia. In a 50-50 tie, we have 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats in the United States Senate. Um, To get anything passed, somebody's got to flip. I mean, they could do every piece of legislation and it end up 50 voting for it, 50 voting against it. Then the vice president of the Senate, or excuse me, the president of the Senate, who is always the current vice president, cast a a deciding vote in that case. In this case, Kamala Harris is the vice president. She's a Democrat. She would pass and already has a couple of times. She has cast that deciding vote. So, They could probably push this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill in the Senate, push it out of the Senate, and it would go across to the House of Representatives where Nancy Pelosi and the far, far left progressives are, they are foaming at the mouth. They want it desperately because it spends hundreds of billions of dollars on anything and everything that has nothing to do with what they tell us it has to do with. I'll give you some details in a second. Well, former Auburn head coach, Tommy Tuberville, he's a Republican from Alabama. He's in the U.S. Senate now. Now, we told you yesterday, Joe Manchin, he made a big stand over the weekend saying, I'm not all in on this proposed $3.5 trillion deal. Well, yesterday, Coach Tuberville, he thinks, he said, that Manchin will vote for the bill when it is at much lower price tags. Yesterday, on a television show, Tuberville told Maria Bartiromo, based on his conversations with Manchin, that the West Virginia Democrat will come around to support the legislation pushed by his Democrat colleagues. Tub said this, we've got 10 million jobs open, 8 million people out of a job. That doesn't add up. Here's what we need to make sure we do, he said. We need to make sure that we watch what goes on with Joe Manchin in terms of the money he's going to sign on for. Now he's going to sign this bill. He's going to sign on. I've talked to him several times, but he says it's not going to be probably one and a half or two trillion. Coach Tubbs said that's still too much. They are proposing 30 new taxes 
30 new taxes. Joe Biden has proposed 30 of them. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to do all 30, but he's got them in the plan. They're going to throw amnesty in. Amnesty. And heaven forbid they get this passed through the parliamentarian, this Voting Rights Act. If they get that done, this might be Katie barred the door for the United States that you and I both grew up in and that we know very well. So Bartiromo asked Tuberville if he was specifically referring to that $3.5 trillion proposal. He's going to vote for the infrastructure bill. That's what Tubbs said. Of course, they voted for that in, and of course, it passed through the Senate. He's going to vote for part of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. And it won't be $3.5 trillion. There's no way. But there will be a fight between him and the very far left. But Manchin understands that. He understands that we can't keep throwing money in this economy because inflation is already the highest it's ever been in 20 years. He understands that. Senator Tuberville added, he's been a governor. He's been a governor. He actually has some common sense. But he will vote for it at some part, in some part, at some time. I just hope that we don't get all that other stuff involved. Amnesty and the Voting Rights Act in this reconciliation package. That's a big key to watch over the next week or two. Wow. So in the wake of that, today, Tuesday, after Tubbs said all that yesterday, the Consumer Price Index, we find out this morning, rose 5.3% compared with a year ago. 5.3%. That's inflation, folks. That continues the trend since, oh, January. You know, what happened in January, like on the 20th? Joe Biden was sworn in as president. The U.S. economy has been racked by soaring prices and ongoing supply disruptions. But the resurgence of coronavirus infections has slowed parts of the economy, relieving some of the inflationary pressure. Economists had forecast a 5.3% annual gain and 0.4% compared with the prior month. The major stock indexes turned sharply higher on the news, presumably because the slightly lower-than-expected monthly inflation number is seen as relieving some of the pressure on the Federal Reserve to begin tapering its bond purchases at its monetary policy meeting this month. Many economists expect the Fed is going to hold off until its November meeting to formally announce a reduction in bond purchases. Now, when we talk about bond, what are we talking about? Well, when our government passes a bill, a spending bill, and it means they're going to go out and spend, in this case, let's just say they get this whole thing passed, $3.5 trillion. You do understand we don't have $3.5 trillion. I don't think anybody has $3.5 trillion. Nobody I know. <laughs> I know some wealthy people. Ain't none of my buddies got that kind of money. I don't even like to think about what that number means. But what it really means to Americans is our government goes and borrows the money. How do we borrow the money? The Fed creates bonds, and they sell the bonds. Who do they sell the bonds to? Um, To stock investment entities, money market funds, insurance companies that invest premiums that are paid in. They also sell to a bunch of individuals, usually wealthy people, that want money put in a safe place. And in many cases, government bonds have always been a safe place because in most cases, governments always pay the interest. And when the bond 
expires, they will repay the bondholder for the purchase price plus any unpaid interest. It's an investment thing. So in other words, if, if, if Congress passes this bill and Biden signs it into law, this or any variation of it, our government's going to have to go find the five, the three and a half trillion dollars that they voted to spend on all this stuff. They call it an infrastructure bill, and it's not. It's just a bunch of pork, and it's going to bring a bunch of new citizens to the United States. Now, what are you talking about? In this bill, we find out the Democrats proposed amnesty for migrants. This is all included in the bill, infrastructure bill. Oh, that's got all kinds of stuff to do with infrastructure, right? This is the American aristocratic class being rewarded for being in financial bed with the Democrat Party. That's Robert Law, Director of Regulatory Affairs in the Policy Center for the Center for Immigration Studies. Democrat leaders in this bill are blowing away all the numerical limits on employers offering green cards. That's legitimacy. That's legal status. And they're offering those to these working class immigrants that will work cheaper than Americans who do the jobs now. There's no limit anywhere. The number of green cards by Congress has always been limited to whatever the number is. This bill totally obliterates that number. Mark Zuckerberg's AstroTurf empire is marking it as a relief bill for deserving illegal migrants, but it boosts investors by dramatically expanding the flow of cheap workers, government-funded consumers, and room-sharing renters into the U.S. economy. Democrat leaders hope to squeeze the bill through the Senate through the 50-vote reconciliation process we just were talking about. This expanded foreign worker pipeline, it's going to remain open until at least September of 2031. Even though many millions of Americans will need jobs during the next decade after they graduate with debts and degrees in healthcare, accounting, teaching, business, design, science, technology, and even engineering. If you're in the pipeline by September 30th, 31, you're in this amnesty bill. The new pipeline is created in section 60003 on page 12. <laughs> section, now that's six, let's see, one, two, three. That's section 60,003. <laughs> that's how big this thing is, folks. And it's on page 12. It says, the Secretary of State shall exempt an alien and the spouse and children of each alien from the numerical limitations described in Sections 201, 202, and 203. Section 201 sets the annual limits of 226,000 new green cards for family-sponsored preference and the employer-based green cards that companies they can offer to cooperative foreign workers. Section 202 sets the so-called country caps for Indian or Chinese workers who are trying to earn green cards through their employers. 
The white-collar pipeline is hidden under obscure legal references, and it connects and widens the existing pipelines that aren't even mentioned in the amnesty bill. The pipelines include the well-known H-1B program and the little-known but very big gargantuan optional practical training program that was invented by deputies working for President George W. Bush. A similar pipeline expansion was included in the January immigration bill introduced by Biden's deputies. These imported visa workers, folks, they are fed into an indentured workforce. Do you know what indentured servants were? When, when the settlers came over from Europe, the only people that were in bad situations that came here, not on their own volition, but they came here, were slaves. We, we never talk about indentured servants. Most of indentured servants back then came from Europe. They were poor white people that couldn't afford to come over here. Many of them in Europe couldn't afford to live. And so what they did was they basically sold themselves to people that wanted to hire them to work for them. Now that meant typically they would work for these people for a certain number of years. They would work off the price that cost them, this person they were working for, for them and their families to be immigrated to the United States, to live somewhere, to eat or whatever. And basically it was a slave, but you weren't, you didn't carry the name of slave. So these imported visa workers are fed into that indentured workforce. It's in existence right now, folks. It includes at least a million foreign graduates, including J-1 science workers, L-1 managers, and curricular practical training students. The workforce also includes an uncertain number of illegal white-collar workers, including some of those B-1, B-2 visitors. These pipelines have already brought 600,000 foreign graduates into the U.S. workforce, and that happens every year. Although about half leave after two to three years, even as about 800,000 Americans graduate from four-year colleges with technology-intensive degrees, such as engineering, healthcare, management, science, software, and architecture. This draft bill allows roughly one million foreign students in the United States into the green card pipeline along with future foreign college graduates who get into the pipeline by late 2031. Now, who likes this? Who's pushing this? U.S. executives, foreign-born managements, managers. They use the green card workforce, and in doing so, pushing it, they displace many Americans who went through, they did it the right way. They grew up. They went to school here. They borrowed money, went to college, get out of college, and they're looking for those very desirable careers at Microsoft, Intel, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon, and numerous other Silicon Valley firms, science laboratories, insurance companies, consulting firms, universities, hospitals, and major banks. All of these Americans and former legal immigrants that came here to make a life for themselves and live the American dream these big corporations with their co- cohorts in government are trying to push those people to the side and bring in replacements from outside the United States. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they purposely 
put these people, these American people, these natives in most part, or legal immigrants, why would they want to push them to the side? I can only think of one thing, folks. It's a way to amass even more political power. I mean, if you're a politician, you could theoretically or even literally sit in front of some of these people that won't in over here, and you can talk to them and you can tell them, hey, look, we can make this happen. We can give you these great opportunities that you'll never get in your country. And here it goes, quid pro quo. If we do that for you, what are you going to do for us? Quid pro quo. If you come here, if we make it so that you can come here, you're going to have to support us in everything that we do. We're going to find a way to get you eligibility to vote here in the United States. We're going to make that possible for you. When you do that, you got to remember when you step into the voting booth or you fill out that mail-in ballot every time. Who's your daddy? Who paid for you to get here? Who opened the door for you to get here? And hang that proverbial lightning rod over their head and tell them. And who has the power to make sure you get dumped and don't get this chance if you don't do what we're telling you you must do? Quid pro quo. I just, I, I'm not into painting bleak pictures, but I'm into being re- realistic about all this stuff. And folks, what we're talking about today is realistic. It's already happening. It's been happening for years. But now the Democrats in this bill, they want to take the lid off and basically anybody and everybody that they want to come here, these big companies, the people in those big companies who are those big people, most of them are hardcore leftists and they own, they own the far left lobby in Washington, D.C. And whatever it takes whatever those big companies need to do to give themselves an advantage in the workplace, finding the most enlightened, best educated, best trained people in big tech from other countries. Why wouldn't you want to pay less and get the same or better skills? And yeah, maybe the only way to do that is to put some Americans that did it the right way, that are natives or immigrated here legally, push them to the side and get those folks in that can do the same thing. Just do it cheaper. And remember, this is being put out there by the party that paints themselves as anti-rich people, pro-middle and lower class, working class people supporters. That's what they push themselves to be. It's no different than they push themselves to be the the purveyors of righteousness when it comes to race in the United States. The Democrat Party, folks, they were the slave owners. Southern Democrats were the slave owners, the very first ones. They purveyed, purveyed, whatever the correct term is, the war to stop the termination of slavery. They're not the ones that got African-Americans freedom. They didn't get them citizenship. They didn't get them the right to vote. They didn't get women the right to vote. Conservatives, the Republican Party, beginning with the Republican Party under Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican. 
History doesn't teach it quite that way unless you really dig in, right? <laughs> you gotta you gotta dig deep sometimes. You gotta look under some rocks. A lot of good things are hidden under rocks, and it's not just your spare door key at the front door. I know, I saw you put it under that rock. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dr. Fauci is up next at TNN Live. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by the sad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu future. You know, this past weekend, TNN went on the road. We went to um, California, Northern California. It was very interesting, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday. Yesterday was kind of a blur in many respects. I didn't get back to North Louisiana until the wee hours of Monday morning. Um, yeah, <laughs> I need sleep too. I didn't mention it, but I was just blown away on this trip flying through from Dallas, Fort Worth, DFW. Uh, on the way out, flew from there to Sacramento and then drove down to Modesto where I spent the next 24 hours. And then flying back, flew from uh, Sacramento through Phoenix and then back to DFW and then drove home. I hadn't flown commercially in a while, but in this latest spate of the big COVID ramp-ups of infections, our federal government, boy, they have just clamped down on Americans. And so beginning at DFW, first of all, if you don't have a mask on, if you don't have it on, when I say on, I mean over your nose, over your mouth, leave it up. You're going to get kicked out of any airport. I'm serious, folks. And going through TSA, 
Oh my gosh, I was waiting for any moment to be pulled out of line and given a cavity search. They have just been emboldened at TSA, and I thought at first it was just at DFW. It was the same thing in Sacramento, the same thing in Phoenix. And constantly, you're hearing announcements. You know how you always hear those canned announcements uh, when you go into airports, pretty much saying the same thing about if you see a, a, a bag left alone, contact, that kind of thing. But here's what you're seeing and hearing over and over and over again. There are signs everywhere about mask wearing. They come on and tell you, you are required by federal law. It's an order of the CDC and the NIH, National Institutes of Health. They should just not say those agency names and say, this is a Fauciism. Dr. Fauci said, you got to do this. So you got to put that mask on, make sure it's over your nose and your mouth. And if you don't, you will be removed and in many cases arrested. And then I flew American Airlines when you get on the when you get on the jet, the pilot, uh, the I thought it was interesting. The last leg of uh, from Phoenix to Dallas, it was late night on Sunday night, and the pilot comes on very nice sounding guy, and he said this in a nice way, and he prefaced it by saying this, folks. What I'm about to tell you is something that I'm required by American Airlines to read to you. And I just want to basically tell you, uh, this is an order from the boss. And his paraf- the paraphrased version of it was American Airlines uh, enforces the uh, CDC mask mandate that is currently underway in the United States. At all times when you're in the plane, you must wear a mask. You must make sure it covers your nose and your mouth. You can only temporarily move your mask out of the way to drink or to eat while you're on the flight, but you must keep it on at all times. If you don't, American Airlines has the right and will exercise the right to either have you removed or have you removed and be prevented from flying on American Airlines in your future. That's what we've come to. Big Brother is here, folks. Big Brother is here. And in that context, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, the COVID COVID guy, what's going on now, the mandates that I lived through this weekend are not enough for him. Pile enough mandates upon Americans and they're going to do just what they are told That's according to the good Dr. Fauci. He weighed in over the weekend and he ratcheted it up again. He's the White House chief medical advisor. He said the spread of that Delta variant of COVID-19 is the fault of those who do not listen to him. He actually said that in an interview. He said that part of the solution to reduce the virus's spread is for Americans, every American, to rely on what he called trusted public messengers who put aside political ideologies and convince people to get vaccinated. Obviously, he wasn't speaking about himself. He used the term trusted public messengers. I know very few people, very few people, and the number keeps diminishing, that actually trust him as being what he has always portrayed to us himself and what those in power have portrayed to us about him as the expert on all infectious diseases. 
And here's what he said when he made that statement. The next sentence just blew me away. The alternative, if these people don't listen to these trusted public messengers, is for them to be forced to do as they are told. The other way to do it is to have many, many more mandates, he said. Now, he qualified that. He said, I know that rankles a lot of people, but you're going to see situations locally. I don't think you're going to see centrally derived mandates, but there are going to be mandates where colleges, universities, places of business, large corporations, they're going to say, if you want to come to work for us, you've got to be vaccinated. I believe that's going to turn this around because I don't think people are going to want not to go to work or not to go to college or not to go to a university. They're going to do it. You'd like to have them do it on a totally voluntary basis. And then the B word, he threw this in. But if that doesn't work, you've got to go to the alternatives. Last week, Biden marched that out, the alternative or one of them. He said he would use his quote-unquote rule-making powers to force businesses with more than 100 workers to make everybody get vaccinated. His term was institute vaccine mandates. Fauci said the administration had to do that because of one group. Ooh, okay, here we go. Finger pointing. We have a really unfortunate situation, Fauci said, that we have a pretty hardcore group of people that we're trying to persuade or mandate them if they're not persuaded to get vaccinated. He estimated about 75 million Americans are eligible for vaccines but have not yet gotten the shots. That's the key to ending this. Oh, I mean, if he said that, I'm all in, folks. Where's the jab? Come jab me somebody really quickly. Fauci said, I got to get jabbed or die. That's the key to ending this. I mean, that would be the key. Calling to those who have decided against the vaccine a recalcitrant group. (laughs) Where the heck did he get that title? If you haven't been vaccinated, you're part of that evil, wicked thing. You're right up there with the Taliban and ISIS. You're part of a recalcitrant group. We have the tools to end this. And yet, we're not doing it. He told us a year ago. Actually, a year and three months ago. If we just lock down, if we social distance, wear masks, but lock down, close our businesses, stay at home. For two weeks, he said, I'm the COVID God. I speak the truth. Everything regarding COVID, talk to me, listen to me. Two weeks, he said. And here he is a year and three months later. We have the tools to end this, and yet we're not doing it. People, because of their political bent, feel that they don't want to be told to mask up, and they don't want to be told to get vaccinated, he said. It's inexplicable to have people, because of the divisiveness in society, not wanting to contribute to the solution. And by doing that, they become part of the problem. But that is, again, the way it is, unfortunately. So I got one question for the doc. One question. Okay, doc, you told us in the ramp-up, before we ever had vaccines, you were 
rubbing your hands over the fire and saying, hey, it's on the way, folks. It's on the way. And when we get these things out in the marketplace, all you've got to do, you can quit hiding from COVID. It's not going to find you. And even if and when it finds you, you can put up the V sign in front of your face and stare down the COVID God because you've got vaccinated. But if you don't get vaccinated, this is 15 months ago. If you don't get vaccinated, you're surely going to die. And so more than 150 Americans lined up to get the jab because they didn't want to die because Dr. Fauci told them they were going to die. And guess what? There are people that are dying today that have been vaccinated. How many people? Well, they used to tell us that on the CDC VARS VAERS website, V-A-E-R-S website. They did it for several weeks. They called these crossover infections. These are people that, you know, they got the jab. Dr. Fauci said that's the only way to keep from getting the disease. And then, oh no, they started getting sick with COVID. Over in Israel, the most vaccinated by percentage of population country on planet Earth. Estimates are that between 40 and 70% of the current active COVID-19 cases are among those who have been vaccinated. No answers as to why. So listen to this conundrum. Listen to this unbelievable thing that he is saying. We told you all along. The only way to keep from getting sick, getting COVID-19 and going to the hospital and dying, the only way to do it is to get the vaccine. And he just told us yesterday, now he's saying the reason the Delta variant is taking off is because people won't get vaccinated. Well, if you're not vaccinated and you integrate with someone that's been vaccinated, the original Fauciism was That person that got vaccinated, they can just throw their arms up and say, you can't hurt me. I'm vaccinated. But now he's telling us, oh, oh my gosh, we're having these crossover infections and it's because of something you're doing wrong. He won't admit that it's because of something he told us that wasn't true. So here's where we are, folks. And I wanted to talk just a minute about the weekend. Because what I saw, it really, it just paralyzed me. Because everywhere I looked, you know, we over the last year and a half, if you've done any air traveling, you walk through these places and you see people, and people you could tell in most cases were concerned, but they were wearing the mask, most of them, not everybody. But they just didn't seem as engaged with other people. Folks, on this trip this weekend, first of all, flight numbers, When I say flight numbers, I'm talking about the number of airline flights between cities. The numbers have diminished, which means when the planes fly, they've typically got more people aboard. And I mean packed in like sardines. People won't even look at each other, yet alone communicate. No eye contact when you're in the concourses, walking. And you know how that is. One of my pet peeves is for some reason, people who walk in airport terminals, and in shopping malls, they don't understand that they need, if they're with someone else, to walk close together and move to the right side. I've seen groups, especially if it's 
moms and dads with a bunch of kids and you're walking down the concourse in the airport and you got to realize people are walking the other way trying to get to the, the gate that you just walked away from trying to get to your connecting gate and they're just running all over each other. I, I put that in there for free. That's just a pet peeve of mine. But over the weekend, flying to uh, Sacramento and flying back to Dallas, people were oblivious to each other when they sat in the terminals. Even though there were no rules for this, and it's the only part of travel that I didn't notice any egregious rules, where you sit in the chairs at the gate waiting for the flight to come, everybody was putting two seats between them. I mean, it was that way. And so I walked up... um, my flight back, we went from Sacramento to Phoenix and made a connection there and then flew to Dallas. So I'm walking through the terminal in Phoenix to make my connection. And uh, when I get around to the gate, I wanted to sit down. There was no place to sit. Well, there were a bunch of places to sit, but these people had two seats between them. And it was like, it would almost be criminal for me to go sit in one of them. And I didn't even do it. I just stood up over in the corner. This is where we are in this, folks. There is so much misinformation out there that is purposely put out there. Dr. Fauci is the absolute worst as putting out false information and never correcting himself. Never one time has he ever come back. And I'm not looking for an apology. I'm just looking for the truth. If he he would just be a real man and be a real leader and say, you know what, we thought this was going to be the truth, but it worked out not to be, and we're sorry we did it. We acted on the best information we had at the time, but things have changed, and we found out, and so we're going to turn in this direction. He's never once said that. He just basically, occasionally, he'll laugh about it and move on. So guess what the latest is? A report titled Considerations in Boosting COVID-19 Vaccine Immune Responses. It was published in the scientific journal The Lancet, which is the big go-to medical document magazine to read to get facts. That report determined that booster doses of the COVID-19 vaccine are unnecessary for the general public. The scientist's conclusion, who authored the report, including two senior officials from the FDA and the WHO. It was published yesterday. The scientists said the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine against mild disease might diminish over time. However, it said protection against severe disease is most likely to persist. Current evidence does not, therefore, appear to show a need for boosting the general population in which efficacy against severe diseases remains high. This is in the article in The Lancet, adding the wide distribution of boosters is not appropriate at this stage in the pandemic. And they weren't done. They also said there are risks in giving the boosters too early, mainly because of the side effects seen, mainly after the second dose of mRNA technology vaccines. Among these, they named inflammation the heart called myocarditis, which primarily affects young people, and Guillain-Barre syndrome, which causes body paralysis. If unnecessary boosting causes significant adverse reactions, 
there could be implications for vaccine acceptance that go beyond COVID-19 vaccines, they wrote. However, they said booster doses might be needed if the effectiveness of the vaccines continues to decline or if a variant emergence in the vaccine is ineffective. Is ineffective. So Biden, of course, he plans to begin administering booster shots to the general public beginning next week. An FDA advisory group is going to meet this Friday to discuss data supporting the widespread use of boosters. Keep in mind, two of the members of the board of the Federal Drug Administration, they resigned precisely because of this booster thing. They said there is no science that President Biden has that gives any indication that everybody should get booster shots. And Biden put it out. You heard him do it in speeches again and again and again. Oh, we've got boosters coming. Everybody's going to get a booster. Everybody will be eligible. There's no science backing that up. It's not science, folks. It's political thuggery. According to CNBC, the news caused shares of COVID vaccine to make BioNTech to fall more than 5% in intraday trading. Now, what news am I talking about? This news, this report that came out last night, that boosters are not necessary for everybody. Wow. And then there's this natural immunity thing. Do I have natural immunity? Let me just tell you this. My wife, she is a a blessed person. And she's blessed not because she has me and has for 46 years. She's blessed because she gives her life away to others, including me. And she's amazing. She would be the, she never gets sick. We've been married 46 years. I can count the times on one hand, less than five fingers or four fingers and a thumb, the times that she's really gotten sick in 46 years. Folks, she got a horrible case of COVID, a horrible case. Now, she's tall and thin. She's not overweight. She has great genes in her family. I'm not talking about genes you wear. I'm talking about genes you have inside you. <laughs> but when she got COVID, she got sick, and it was almost a week. Now, this was back, I think, in March or May. Maybe it was, well, if, if it was one of the M months, it would have to be March or May last year. But it was about 10 days before she felt that it was bad enough for her to go to the doctor. When she did, she had pneumonia in the bottom of her left lung. She was all messed up, running fever. And so thankfully, our doctor, who is a uh, he's a really sharp guy, he immediately, she, Marianne, you go to quick care, they're going to send you home. They'll treat symptoms. They'll tell you. Um, <clears throat> we don't prescribe. We're not going to prescribe medicine for you. We're maybe going to give you a shot, give you a prescription, maybe, probably not, but we're going to send you home. They're going to treat the symptoms, whatever, your cough, your fever, whatever you have. And she's listening. She's not here. She's listening and just sent me a text. Her COVID case was in July. Thank you for that. I wanted to be accurate. You always keep me accurate. And there was a lot of concern among our family members and our close friends because I have a permanent lung condition, and I won't go into the details, but uh, I guess 35 years ago, 
on a trip to Mexico, I got a horrible case of bacterial pneumonia and that killed all of the cilia, the little hairs in my lungs. And that's what we never think about it. None of us know about it, but that sweeps bacteria and virus cells out of our lungs. Without that, whenever I'm exposed to those things, they have a propensity to just stay in my lungs. And I, through the years, have occasionally had a battle with most of the time, thank God, when it happens, um, mild pneumonia, a couple of times it's gotten bad. Haven't had it happen in a long time because I just think smart and uh, I take care of things. Like before I flew, several days before I fly, I always take a round of uh, antibiotics so that my body will have a little extra boof in its immune system um, when I'm exposed to it in a plane. You spend three or four hours in a plane, I don't care what they tell you about the air circulation being so good at filtering stuff out. You're going to be breathing in some things that somebody else around you breathed out. That's another concern for COVID-19. I'm not going to go there. But nevertheless, I have good immunity. And I didn't, I, through her entire thing, I didn't even get a sniffle. Haven't had anything bad to happen. Maybe I've got some natural immunity. I don't know that. And there have been a lot of doctors in the marketplace out there that have said from the beginning, in fact, Fauci, oh, natural immunity is worthy, worthy of of pushing for. We've got to get back to herd immunity. That's where our bodies, more and more people are infected and their bodies have created antibodies against the disease and they spread the antibodies between others. And the more people in a community, and I'm not just talking about a town, I'm talking about in a group of people that get sick They're going to get well and share the antibodies through the air, through contact with others that help people get over these diseases. But still with that, hospitals of all places are the ones that started cramming the requirement for getting vaccines among their workers. Well, workers at Michigan-based Spectrum Health yesterday Workers there, they put out, can avoid the company's COVID-19 vaccine mandate if they can prove they have natural immunity. A statement put out says this, while we still recommend vaccination for people with prior COVID-19 infection, according to this new research, there is increasing evidence that natural infection affords protection from COVID, reinfection, and severe symptoms for a period of time. Current studies are not clear on how long natural immunity protects from reinfection. So under the policy at that hospital, workers will have to submit to an antibody test to prove they're immune. Natural immunity, meaning that a person has contracted COVID and recovered, is rarely discussed in national conversations about vaccines. It doesn't fit the current far-left political thuggery messaging. They don't want to talk about it. Some studies have shown that individuals who were previously infected have displayed significant resistance to the virus. Researchers in Israel, of all places, found that previous infection has provided better protection to individuals against the Delta variant than does the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. This analysis demonstrated that natural immunity affords longer-lasting and stronger protection against infection, against symptomatic disease, and hospitalization due to the Delta variant. On September 11th, 
The Biden administration COVID-19 advisor Fauci said that another new study from Israel regarding natural immunity has triggered discussion among experts. You know what floors me the worst in this? I'm going to pause from this. I'll come right back to it. Fauci is an expert. I don't know of one time when there has been some laboratory analysis, some big report about drugs, about masks, about anything to do with COVID-19, that when I say large, I mean tens of thousands of people involved in it. Test done in laboratories, the kind of stuff that these medical experts are supposed to thrive with and support. I don't know of a single one of those regarding things like ivorectum against uh, uh, about hydroxychloroquine, about any of the other non-traditional big-time medicines that have come into the marketplace that are proving in tens of thousands of people to be very effective. Never one time him ever say that he supports it or he thinks it's good. If he doesn't initiate it, it's not going to be good. So here's what he said about this. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. Somebody asked him a question about whether individuals who were previously infected should get a vaccine. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response The one thing that paper from Israel didn't tell you is whether or not, as high as the protection is with natural infection, what's the durability compared to the durability of a vaccine? So it is conceivable that you got infected, you're protected, but you may not be protected for an indefinite period of time, he added. Well, of course, this is the guru. Never one time did he tell us there was going to be even a possible or remote possibility that the initial mRNA vaccinations were not going to be effective. At the very beginning, it was, if you don't get this, you're going to die, and you'll be safe forever. I mean, come on, folks. Did you go through the polio situation? Back in the early 50s, I was born in 53. My brother had polio, three years older than me. He had a mild case, thank God, and he got over it very quickly. But when I got a polio vaccine, I was told, just like Fauci told me about, and you and everybody else about getting a COVID-19 vaccination, it was going to last forever. I'm sure when the flu shots first came out, they told us the same thing. How many flu shots have you taken? You see where I'm going with this? Fauci makes it all about him and his opinion, not about the science. All of his cries and his angst and his instructions to you and me is you got to follow the science. Listen to the science. Listen to the science. He's really not, he's really not saying that. He's saying it, but he's not meaning it. What he's meaning is I'm not telling you to follow the science. I'm telling you to follow those of us who are scientists and follow the opinions that we give you. And by the way, make life and death decisions for yourself and for other family members based upon what we tell you to do. A landmark study from Emory University published in the journal Cell Reports Medicine in July revealed that individuals who have natural immunity display long and robust protection against COVID. 
we saw that antibody responses, especially IgG antibodies, I don't know what that means, were not only durable in the vast majority of patients, but decayed at a slower rate than previously estimated, which suggests that patients are generating longer-lived plasma cells that can neutralize the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. That's from Rafi Ahmed, director at Emory Vaccine Center and lead author. That came out of Emory, Emory University. Wow. Aren't facts wonderful when you get them? And by the way, those two key senior FDA officials who resigned over all of this, Gruber and Krauss, Dr. Philip Krauss and Marion Gruber are the two. Gruber and Krauss, they said they don't believe there's sufficient data to support these boosters, the timing to roll them out this year, this month. They also objected to involvement by the CDC and its advisory panel on immunizations in the decision-making process. August 12th, health officials authorized a third booster shot for people with weakened immune systems who had initially received the Pfizer or the Moderna injections. Since then, at least a million COVID-19 boosters have been administered. And that happened, though it's unclear whether all were technically authorized. This rollout of boosters for adults who got their second dose at least six months ago, it's expected to start next week still. We're going to watch and see what happens. We're not getting the facts, folks. We're not getting the facts all the time. And these uh, demands to hurry up, you better hurry up and get going or you're going to die, they've just gotten out of hand. We don't know that. And what's saddest is these people, these doctors, these people giving us these Fauciisms, they're in a place where they should be giving us nothing but facts. And you know what? If you think something's right, you haven't yet confirmed it, why don't you give us the advice? Tell us, hey, we think this is true. We're not sure yet. And just get us to wait until you find out. Hey, folks, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow. We want you to be here every day. Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, at TNN Live. We'll see you then. Have a great day.